Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Ain't no stopping us now. We got the group. Ain't no stopping us now. We're on the move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? You're listening to the Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How is it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Uh, we have a fun episode today, uh, but we're going to just jump right into things uh, because we've been meandering a little bit, so we apologize for all of you guys that are like, guys, the show starts at like 20 minutes. What's we're going to try and pick it up. We're going to try and pick it up. It hasn't started at 20 minutes yet. We've gotten to like 12, I think. Um, but first things first, this show is brought to you by our lovely sponsor, Card Kingdom. We've been so happy to have these guys as our sponsor for the past uh, five or six episodes now. I think now. it's like seven or eight. We're, we're pretty far into it now. Yeah. They're like best friends. Um, <laughs> And they're awesome. We've heard so many great things from all our listeners who are using the affiliate link cardkingdom.com slash command zone when they go there so that they know we're the ones that sent them, sent yep. you. Um, and oh, and a couple people email or tweeted saying that they did their order without doing the affiliate link. All you have to do is actually email them and say like, hey, this is the order. It was actually with command zone and they'll just immediately know. So I actually did that myself because <laughs> so, I Good forgot going. to use the affiliate link. Oh, nice, nice. So, um, and the thing I would say that you really want to order right now, or pre-order, I guess, is Conspiracy 2. Yeah, it's about time. It's going to be awesome. You want it. Commander players and Conspiracy go together like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, especially if you are interested in trying draft for the first time, but never, you don't want to go into a format where you have to play 1v1. This is great. It's an opportunity for you to play powerful cards and also draft awesome cards. And we spoiled last week on our episode what one of those cards is going to be. You're going to want to get this set. Uh, one last thing. It is related to Card Kingdom. It's also related to PAX. Jimmy and I and our special guest will be at PAX, which is at the uh, very beginning of September. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be there the September 1st through the 4th. Now, one thing we're thinking about doing is gathering Command Zone listeners at Card Kingdom for some kind of you know EDH extravaganza. And we're just wondering if we have enough listeners who are going to be in town and are interested. So tweet at us, at CommandCast, if you are an interested party and would want to be involved in something like that. Yeah, we could draft. We could play Commander. We can play Draft Conspiracy. We can do Conspiracy. Conspiracy will be out. We should totally do that. But yep. also, we'll play EDH, too, because, you know, it's a show about EDH. Yeah, so we're thinking right now of doing it on the Friday night before PAX starts. Uh, well, actually, PAX will have started, but Friday Night Magic would coincide nicely with that. So if you guys are in sound, please let us know. Tweet at us at Command Zone. Otherwise, go to cardkingdom.com slash Command Zone. That's our affiliate link. That's how you can tell them that you're supporting the show. Buy some sweet singles, buy some packs of conspiracy, do whatever the heck you want. And that other special, and our special guest who will also be at PAX, introducing one of the ministers of EDH Finance and a member of the WOTC coverage team, one of the co-hosts of Brainstorm Brewery, Corbin Hostler. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, yeah, thank you having me on i appreciate it corby you're back yay <laughs> happy got, to be back that's for sure we got to hang out in vegas at gp vegas last year with corbin and the rest of the brainstorm brewery crew and it was an absolute blast i um i can't wait to do it again i hope i mean vegas 2017 corbin i'm just making the assumption we're all gonna be there right i'm doing my best man i'm living that baby life here at home i have a three-month-old but i am uh, i have the date circled on the calendar uh i plan on being there one way or another whether i'm working or uh just hanging out i hope to be there i mean Perfect. we gotta we gotta 
earn that kid's college education at the craps table. So yeah. it has that's to right, man. That's how it works. <laughs> baby's, how it works. First, baby's first time in Vegas. Does your baby know how to roll dice? Because we'll teach it. Oh, man. Beginner's luck like crazy. <laughs> They'll know how to. I think he'll probably eat the dice. Oh, okay. Be that's more into that, probably. That's yeah. got to be lucky. Yeah, if they can, like, bite the dice in a way that it rolls differently yeah. against the it Vegas just rolls, odds. like... 11s every time yeah yeah, yeah you, it's dead. like scuffing scuffing the baseball you know <laughs> <laughs> so corbin you're going to be at pax um as part of the watsi coverage team is that right yeah absolutely i'm looking forward to it so what's going on is uh obviously pax is happening it's going to be awesome it's right in the backyard of wizards of the coast it's also worlds it's a, the best players from across the world who have been working all year long to qualify uh, are there for a giant first place prize all the marbles, all the respect. Seth Manfield won it last year. Uh, he'll be back this year along with a, a host of other great players that you've been watching and following all year long. Uh, and I'll be there covering it. So it'll be, you know, three, four, five days of, of packs and a lot of great magic being played and a lot of fun. So I'm definitely looking forward to the trip. It's awesome. Um, and last year at PAX, you could walk around uh, downstairs in the annex where they had it last year, and you could just see the pros playing. They were all there. Because it's such a small tournament, there's only 24 people. Um, you just get to see the best players in Magic playing Magic in front of you. You can spectate matches. You can see the feature match area. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a similar setup to that this year. Um, so I'm really excited because, I don't know, it's cool. It's cool seeing Magic played on that level. It's pretty sweet. Looking at some of these names, Reed Duke, LSV... Paulo Vitor, Dama de Rosa, Brad Nelson. I mean, geez, everybody, all the big guns in Magic are going to be there. My boy, oh, Yo Larson. Boy, yeah, your boy with the good hair. <laughs> yeah, the, the most beautiful man in Magic outside of uh, <laughs> Kibler, Yo Larson. I think he took the, the crown yeah. from Kibler. He definitely did. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that I think Yo owns that now. Um, yep, Owen, Yuya Watanabe. The, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so to, yeah, so that's going to be really exciting. Do you want to tell us a little bit about specifically what you do on the coverage team, Corbin? Because I think people would be interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. So I know when people think of coverage, they think, oh, you know, you have Marshall, you have a BDM, mm -hmm. you have all these guys in front of the camera. And obviously they are great. That's an important part of it. There's a lot more to the coverage team that happens in the background. Uh, I do a lot of text coverage, which means, you know, typing up the deck list, sharing the deck list, doing the deck text, uh, writing out the feature matches. Uh, and then sort of there's the, the back end of it, you know, just making sure that we have the deck list when we need them make, uh, for, the, for the commentators, making sure that things are running smoothly, making sure the players actually get to the feature match area. Uh, there's a lot that goes into coverage outside of what you see, you know, when you're watching on Twitch. And uh, I handle a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I've had the opportunity over the past few years that I've really been been working at this uh, more or less full time uh, to share some pretty incredible stories. I know the one that gets mentioned to me the most is the uh, the the Brandon Burden story from one mm -hmm. of the Pro Tours last year. Um, and if you, it's called uh, the best team on the Pro Tour if you want to look it up. But it, it really is, uh, I think, one of the the best stories I've ever been able to share. Um, his story was very inspiring, and that's what I look for, is stuff like that, and, and those people who, who make the game what it is. You know, one of the, the columns I have is uh, on the Mothership once, once a month, and the, the goal of it is not to talk about magic. It's to talk about the people who play magic. Mm -hmm. And to, to me, that is you sort of the side of coverage that you don't necessarily think of at first, but people love, and it, it helps us extend the reach of the game, and it gets more people interested in it, more or less legitimizes magic as not just this game that people play, but a, a positive factor in people's overall lives. Yeah. Yeah, the Brandon Bird story, really good. I'm glad you brought that up. Do you want to just talk really quickly about what that story is so people because i mean you're right people need to go look it up and, and read it that's i think the best thing of yours that i've ever read it's got to be one of the most inspiring sort of 
magic duos, I guess you would say. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, I, uh, you, you know, I, I worked as a reporter uh, in sort of the traditional journalism industry before I started doing it full time in magic. So I've definitely seen, you know, my share of, of, of inspiring stories and moving stories. Um, and this, this is right up there with anything I've ever uh, written about in my life. You know, it's one of those where you're kind of choked up as you're, as you're talking to them and as you're seeing the reaction to it and, and things like that. And that's really the moments uh, that, you know, that, that I do it for. That's what I, you know, that's what I want my life to be is to be able to share those moments with people. So uh, Brandon was a kid who mother had um, some, some drug abuse problems while she was pregnant. Um, he was born with um, some, some, some motor issues, you know, he, he doesn't have the dexterity. He can't really reach out, but he is a, an extremely bright, um, kid. I say kid, he's, you know, a teenager now is, but he's obviously faced a lot of challenges in his life over that and had a lot of difficult surgeries and things he had to go through. And, um, his, his parents are not in his life. However, his, his grandmother adopted him and in the midst of one of his, you know, re recoveries from a really difficult surgery. He was sitting in his room and had nothing to do. Um, and he was like, well, you know, Hey, Hey, can I have $10 to start a magic online account? And she was like, well, if it'll give him something to do since he, he can't do anything else, sure. Why not? And it, you know, he turned into a, a, a very proficient magic online player and had a lot of things. And then he decided the next step is, Hey, I want to play, in real life, I want to go to a Grand Prix. I want to try to make the Pro Tour. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is, you know, he's in a wheelchair and he's not able to to physically manipulate the cards the way you need to when you play Magic. So what he does is is um, his his mom is his grandmom, who he calls mom, actually sits down at the table with him and plays the cards for him. He announces everything he wants to do, and she physically moves the cards where they need to go. And he's had a lot of high GP finishes. He made a run at the Pro Tour. Uh, I think it was Origins. Uh, I think it was Battle Tour for Zendikar. BFC. Yeah. Okay, the one after that. Yeah, it was a Battle for Zendikar last year. And uh, made a run just barely missing the top eight. Um, and it's just really inspiring to see someone able to play at that level and to see the selflessness um, that his mom is, that she's done to, to be with him every step of the way and make it possible for him, uh, you know, to live his dream in a way that, he wouldn't be able to do without her help. So it really is just an inspiring, moving story of, like you said, the, one of the best duos you'll ever find in Magic. So it's, I definitely highly recommend if you uh, ever see them at an event, say hi to them. If you want to go read the story, you absolutely should. It's, it's just one of those things that really makes you realize that Magic is more than a game. Yeah, it's a great story. It's called The Best Team at the Pro Tour. It will be in the show notes. I would highly recommend that you check that out. Um, great story. That's the kind of stuff that Corbin does. Corbin, we love your stuff. Uh, we also love that you're on our show and that we're going to talk about your EDH deck. Yes, absolutely. Oh, one thing I want to say is, Corbin, I've seen you on coverage actually quite a lot. It's just you have to pay attention. You'll be sitting behind the um, the player sometimes or at the table or you'll be in that room where in the sort of show match, feature match area, you know, I'll see you then. I'll be like, hey, there's Corbin. Yeah, so. yeah, my laptop has made a lot of appearances on the stream, <laughs> that's for sure. It's a famous one at this So point. we do see you, man. We see you. Don't worry. Yeah, you are not invisible to us, Corbin. So we're going to talk about Carador, Ghost Chieftain, um, Corbin's deck, and then we're going to talk about some philosophical things that Corbin goes through when he's building the deck. And then 
yeah, we're just going to go through his build of the deck and maybe some stuff we might do to alter it depending on what your philosophy is for your deck building. So the first thing you said when you um, contacted us when we asked you about the deck was that you don't like to put a ton of tutors in there and you don't like to make your deck super OP, super overpowered. And do you want to explain like that philosophy, Corbin, and how you go about you know, yeah. building that way? Yeah, well, my take on it is Commander is supposed to be, it's not, you know, we're not we're not here playing Legacy, we're not playing Modern, we're not playing Vintage. The goal is not, to me, necessarily to build the most competitive thing you can. It is mm -hmm. to build a competitive deck that you can sit down with your friends and play for an hour and have a good time. Um, so, you know, we all know you can take decks and you can trick them out with the, the really expensive mana bases and you can put the mana crypts in your deck you put all the great fast mana in your deck you fill it full of tutors and you just build this well-oiled machine that's going to combo everyone to death on the fourth turn <laughs> and we've all seen that if you walk around at a grand prix when they're doing commander pods you see some of those decks and there's nothing inherently wrong with that it's just not i you know not i think the spirit uh, of commander and and which people are looking for when they sit down for that experience at the local gaming store um, and also you have to keep in mind that if i'm at a store and I say, hey, you guys want to play Commander? And maybe it's people I don't know and every play group's different. I want my deck to be able to toe that line. I want it to be competitive enough to compete at a, at a high-powered table, but not so oppressive that it's going to make the game unfun for the people I'm playing with because, you know, budget is a thing for a lot of people and the, the further you go... And, and, you know, raising the amount you're willing to spend on a deck to make it better and, and et cetera, you, you, you can just create an unfun situation for the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. So... Some of the, the really easy lines I take on it is I don't play alpha beta duels. I play Shocklands. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the time they're the exact same, but it's a lot less feel bad to to your opponents when you when you you know you have those that they can also play. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't stack the deck full of tutors. You know I don't have vamp tutor, demonic tutor in any of my decks because I don't want it to be. I don't want the games to be the same. I don't want every game to be. I'll go search for this card every single time, and I'll pull off the same two-card combo every time, and that's just all I'm going to do. Uh, so I like to, you know, to, to get to play Magic, and I want the games to be different. And removing tutors is really what leads to that. So I have, you know, some. I'm not. I'm not. Of course, like I said, it's all about a balance because I play something like Beseech the Queen in, in this Carador deck, which to me is sort of a, you know, it's it's basically a worse demonic tutor. It's one of my uh, favorite tutors, actually. I've talked about it a lot before. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's great. It, it, to me, it straddles that line, though, between, um, you know, you have some of it, so you have toolbox and your deck can, can do what it wants to do, but you're not just sitting there trying to do the same thing every single game and oppressively combo people out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of this as well. I really like the point that you made about sitting down at a table with people that you don't know, because that is definitely one of the hardest things to do with a deck. I remember, I mean, for us to, whenever we tell them to go to a GP and, or play with fans, I don't want to sit down and make the, the experience of playing with someone that you want to play with a bad one. Right. And in general, that applies to not just anyone that may know who you are, but just anyone in general. I feel like we're all part of fostering the, the worldwide play group of EDH, and it's kind of on us to you know be good ambassadors of that um, because it's sort of the golden rule of you, you play the way that you want to get played, kind of like that. You know, like I, I don't want to play against that kind of deck either. At least not very often. I don't mind, right. but I also don't play those decks in those situations generally. Yeah. Uh, it's not like I'm just, actively you, Let's be honest, out. Jimmy, or 
we're just going to get murked anyway. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> we do have giant bullseyes on right, our heads. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, what I being the beneficiary of that uh, in yeah. Vegas last time around. We That's what happens at GPs. <laughs> you sit down with five people, and they all kill you. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've learned. <laughs> it's a rough life out there for us. But, hey, you know what? At least there was a winner, and... Yep, that's all I could say. It's still fun. It's still fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great interacting with people. Um, yeah, this is a philosophy I think a lot of people have. It's one of the troubles with Commander as a format is this moving target of what people find right. fun mm-hmm. and where they find it. And I think, you know, there's no right or wrong. It's just interesting people's, uh, you know, their philosophies. And Corbin obviously has his. It sounds a little bit like uh, your buddy Jason Alt's um, right. 70% theory, mm-hmm. which we definitely talked about on the show. And I think a lot of people, that's that philosophy has spoken to them and they try and follow it, which I think is a, is a good one. It's mm-hmm. trying to be competitive, but not oppressive. Um, yeah, that can be great. Uh, so this deck that you've built sort of follows that philosophy. Um, we should read Carador. Yes. Good call. Carador is, uh, it's great that it also follows this philosophy because Carador is one of the most powerful generals that you can play in commander. Um, it's from the EDH pre-built decks that Wizards released. And in general, especially this set, has cards like Animar, uh, Kalia. Kalia. Yeah, so Carador is right up there. Um, so Carador is 8 CMC total. You'll find that that doesn't matter actually matter because it's uh, 5 and then Obzon, so black, green, and white. It's a 3-4 legendary creature centaur spirit. Carador Ghost Chieftain costs 1 less for each creature card in your graveyard. And during each of your turns, you may cast one creature card from your graveyard. So he at the minimum, can cost just Obzon, black, green, white, if mm-hmm. you have five creature cards in your graveyard. So immediately, you can sort of see what's happening here. You want to put creature cards in your graveyard, Carador's out, you can start casting those creature cards from your graveyard. You get a lot of value. Carador isn't as affected by something like commander tax when he dies, so he has a very powerful built-in ability. It's all on the card, and he's just great. Yeah, Corbin, what, uh, what made you decide to pick Carador as a deck that you would build? Yeah, well, I actually, this this goes back, this was the very first, I think I own five Commander decks now, but uh, mm-hmm. my very first one. Oh, wow, that's uh, impressive. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, man, I, I love the format. I play every week. <laughs> we got to have um, you on the show more often. I didn't realize it was so many. <laughs> you are currently playing more Commander than Josh and I am are in, <laughs> in, in yeah. our lives. Yeah, yeah the, so. the, the baby life is, has made it set back a little bit, but I do try to, to play for a few hours every week up at the, at the LGS when I can. Nice. Uh, so this was actually the first deck I ever built. And, you know, over the past, you know, four to five years, I've become very meticulous when I make a deck. I make a spreadsheet, and I, I plan everything out in advance. This, however, started as a Teneb deck maybe like seven years ago before I did any of this. Uh, and it was Teneb the Harvester was sort of the original reanimator before the the Commander sets came out. And a dragon. Uh, and and Obzon. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So uh, I built it, and it was, hey, we're going to play Reanimator. That sounds like a fun sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where it started. And over time, it's morphed quite a bit uh, to, and obviously changing out the commander was a big one. I found that Teneb was just very slow, uh, mm-hmm. mana-intensive, and Carador was great. And I loved it. So the deck, over time, has become sort of this, well, we want to play this this game plan of control the board, and then win out of my graveyard. And mm-hmm. Carador fits mm-hmm. in perfectly for that because you don't need to turbo it out. You can just play that control game, play a bunch of Wraths, things like that. Over the early game, fill up your graveyard as you go, incidentally, and then you know you just get to play Magic, and then everything dies, but your creatures don't stay dead. And Carador is perfect for um, enabling that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, 
yeah, it's a good strategy, a good way to go. Um, we're going to run down the stats really quickly. I, I do this for most decks. So the stats on Corbin's deck list, and you can find a link to the tapped out deck list in the show notes. Um, there's about four mana ramp cards in the, in the list. There's about two card draw cards. There's seven single target removal cards. Some of those are attached to creatures. Um, obviously, Carador likes creatures a lot. Um, and then there's seven board wipes, which I just love that because I play tons of board wipes. So um, that just, like, I'm like, yep, Corbin, we see eye to eye on that one because board wipes super strong in Commander. Carador also likes to sacrifice things um, to get them in the graveyard to cast them again. So there's five sack outlets. There's about 29 creatures, which we'll talk about in a minute. I thought that was kind of low. And then there's two self-mill cards. There's basically one dredge card and then the altar of dementia, mm-hmm. um, which I was curious about the lack of self-mill because most Carador decks I see are self-milling like crazy to just try and because the graveyard sort of works as a second hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting that you didn't chose, choose to go in that direction. I was just curious about that. Yeah, so... Part of it is, it, and it feels like when I play this, Carador gets cast, it's the last thing. The, the plan is, is not really to, to run one out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to just play that control game, and there are certainly some cuts that can be made. You know, I think one of the things we're going to talk about later is using creatures uh, to just to, to replace some of these spell effects, and I think that's something I definitely need. Uh, but yeah, I, I want a, a just all. I want to be able to control. I want to interact with my opponents. I want to just play magic and have the graveyard fill itself up naturally, rather than put effort into. You know, if I if I spend a card to fill up my graveyard and then I die to something because I didn't have the the wrath I needed or the removal spell right. I needed, mm-hmm. that feels pretty bad. You know, the goal is not to like I said. The goal is not to turbo out Carador in this deck. It's to control the game and then have that late game value that is insurmountable. Yeah, that I said, think- I think we definitely have some work to go with my list. <laughs> well, I think though that it's really interesting and one of the really cool things about the format is like some people will look at something like Carador and be like, there's one way to build this deck and it has to be, and you're like, no, there's this other way I could go. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool is finding the way that that commander, you know, that you see the strategy going and you see the games playing out and building your plan that way. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way. We're going to talk about some other ways just because it's fun to discuss, but I don't <laughs> think it's right. a judgment on how you've chose to build it. I was just curious. I, again, I don't think it's wrong. Um, and what you're saying actually makes sense, right? Because if I'm going to wrath the board a bunch of times, that's yep. going to put creatures in my right. yard. I don't need to self-mill because the wraths are going to do that. And then it's just going to be I recover from those a lot better. Right. Yeah, yeah you but, get into get into loops where you're, you know, you're just sun, you, you're sun Titan, animate dead, looping a... Uh, a Oh man, Oblivion Stone, and you're just you're just wrathing every turn, and it's just you awesome. you can set up these that locks. Super with it. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just set up you just set up locks with the deck, and where you're just keeping the board clear, and then yeah, you'll eventually get the stuff out of your graveyard. Um, but one of the issues I do find I have with the deck is that Carador a lot of times just doesn't get cast until way late, mm-hmm. and I think that that can be fixed instead of having, um, you know, one more removal spell if I. I, I play Shriek Maul, which is one of the, the suggestions I know right. you guys had for, which I think is very good. Then I get to, to, to do the same purpose while also making Carador a more reasonable, uh, uh, a more reasonable cast early in the game. And yeah. that's one of the things I'm looking at, at, at doing as a result of, you know, being able to discuss this with you guys and with the cast. I know some listeners are also probably listening and going like, wait, wait, did you say lock the game out? How is that not <laughs> overpowered? Or, uh, you know, like, but sure, you have to play Listen tutors. to the way you had to do it. Yeah, he had to get there. He had <laughs> yeah. to play... 
three spells. Uh, one of them costs six mana, and Oblivion Stone is certainly not cheap to activate as well. So uh, I, I really like that. that. It has the ability to really lock out the game, but getting there and sort of putting that up, because this deck doesn't run blue, obviously, so you don't, need to, you don't have the ability to counter someone stopping your combo pieces. It's sort of on the, the rest of the table to be able to stop it when, before it happens, which is great. Right. I look at it as, as very, and this, you know, describes the way I really enjoy playing Commander. It's very mm -hmm. interactive with people, and uh, there's a lot of things going on, and it's not just a bunch of decks trying to do their own thing. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, that's what I like about this. And this is sort of a, a philosophical take on it, but when I sit down to play Commander, I find that people don't usually necessarily care if one person wins more than the others what they care about is that they got to play and have fun mm -hmm. so yeah, absolutely I yeah i think that my carador deck it's my best deck i think it, it wins at a rate comparable to you know someone's really strong uh, mizix deck or uh oh, really that's strong, strong words then. shroom deck <laughs> My music deck is currently eight and zero. Oh, so, really, <laughs> I've never lost with it. Even Holy the other night, well. and, I don't want to tangent, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. You can good. change that, Josh. Yo, I mean, <laughs> it's now my. Goal. I thought it was going to happen the last time because I pulled it out just literally to attack one person because he was annoying me, and <laughs> then I still ended up winning the game. Bullying Josh over here, <laughs> right? Anyway, anyway, sorry. Uh, tangent. No, no, that's well. The, my point is, when somebody pulls out that deck, or they pull out a Sharoom deck, and you know mm -hmm. what those decks are going to do, and right. it's they either win on turn five or six a lot of times or they've gotten three v one out of the game right right and right. that you know so it is my opinion that my carador deck probably wins an equal amount to like say my azami deck which is obviously just sitting there to try to combo mm -hmm. um they win about the same, but they feel very differently. People yeah, don't mind if you combo them out on turn 15 with your Carador deck. Right. Because they've played a lot of magic. You've had fun, and you've built to yourself to that position. They feel really bad if you combo them out on turn 5 with your zombie deck. So that's, yep. that's my take on things is, you know, it's not always about who wins. It's about whether or not people got to play. And that's what I love about Carador is that the strength is, is hidden a lot of times because people get to do stuff. Yeah. You're just, you're just stopping them from winning while accumulating the slow value. And that's why it's my favorite deck to play. Yeah. I like that a lot. Sort of the, uh, it, you want to strike that balance when you play to like the perfect game of EDH is when everyone at the table is going, Oh man, when's someone going to win? As soon as that question creeps into someone's head, a deck has the ability to do it and sort of just so be like, all right, the game's over. It's like, cool, that felt like a, a correct commander game. It, it took the right <laughs> amount of time and we're or those, done. those games where like somebody wins and three people are like, oh man, if I just had one more turn, I was going to do this and then do this. And right. yeah, you know those games are going well if like you were right on the verge. Everyone was right on the verge of doing their cool thing. And, and, and that is, those are fun games because you got to play a lot. You know, mm -hmm. nobody says that in games where every spell they were playing got countered or they never right. got to untap their lands or somebody blood mooned. Right. So much hate on the blood. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about what uh, uh, are the best cards in the deck in your experience. So we obviously can't talk about every card in the deck. Otherwise, we'll have a five-hour long podcast. But we can, we can talk about the sort of highlights. So that, what's the highlight reel of the deck? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that in terms of uh, strict power level, these uh, sort of are the ones that, that lead the way. Birthing Pod is... Uh, you know, it, we all know what Birthing Pod does, right? It's it's, it's just yep. a, a crazy amount of of selection in your deck, but it, it, it's um, not let, unfair. Let me read opinion. it really quick, just for those yeah. that don't know. It's uh, it's an artifact. 
It costs three and a Phyrexian green mana, so you can either play three and a green or three and two life. And then you activate it by paying one and a Phyrexian green. So again, you can pay one and a green or one and two life and tap it. You sacrifice a creature and then search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. And then you put that creature onto the battlefield and then shuffle your library. You can only do this as a sorcery. It's kind of like um, Eldritch Evolution. Yep. Um, it's similar. It has to be exactly one more, though, than the creature that you sacrifice. So if you sacrifice a four drop, you have to go find a five drop. You can't find a four, three, or two drop, yep. and definitely not six. Right. Fortunately, so, for a deck like this, it's not hard to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right. eight, you know, all yeah. the way up. And it and wants it, the cards in the graveyard, so. Yeah, right. And it's repeatable, yep. of course, unlike Eldritch Evolution. So yeah, the, when you're able to s turn your Solemn uh, Simulacrum or your Heartmender, which is a Persist Creature 4-drop, into a Karmic Guide, and then turn that Karmic Guide into, you know, a Sun Titan, and then, mm -hmm. or a Green Warden or Moras or whatever, and then, you know, turn it's that into a Shield every, Drake. Every like, turn everything you're just, just upgrading. Comes back. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it's powerful uh, because you can play a 3-drop and then on your fourth turn play this card and activate it Right. Uh, by only having to pay 4 life on top of the mana. It's Would banned like, in modern. So, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Which so makes it next... cheaper for us. Perfect. Right. And then the next one is, uh, uh, I want to touch on is Safi, Eric's daughter. It's a 2-2 it's a for green and white that you can sacrifice it, and the next time one of your creatures will be put into a graveyard uh, from play this turn, return it to play instead. So I love this, this card. is, yep, yeah, this is the, the combo piece galore. It, it combos with everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's part of the sort of the end game combo of the deck, uh, where it loops with, you know, with a Revel Arc and with a, with a Karmic Guide, um, et cetera, and, you know, leads to, leads to a lockout. Uh, yeah, because Revel Arc, if you don't know, what it does is when it comes into play, you get to... When it leaves the battle. Oh, sorry, when it, when it leaves play, you get to return two target creature cards with converted mana cost two or less. Power two or less. Yeah. Oh, Power sorry. Two Power less. two yeah. or less yeah. from your graveyard to so the battlefield. So it come. gets Safi back. Yeah. And then right. you get the Revel Arc back, and then it gets Safi back, and it gets... Right. Like, so sort of the, the end game of this deck uh, most of the time is to assemble uh, Revel Arc, Karmic Guide, Safi, yep. and then another uh, Power two or less creature... Um, that does something, mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's acidic slime, and you blow up everyone's lands. Um, or we have the. Uh, it, it also helps you set up the Viscerasir Malira, which is also the combo seen in modern, uh, along with a, a Kitchen Finks or Woodfall mm -hmm. Primus to mm -hmm. again For either infinite gain life. infinite life or yeah. destroy everyone's lands. So those are the end games of this deck, and it all plays out of the graveyard. And Safi's great with that. Uh, it's yeah. also really good with this next card I'll touch on, uh, which is Greater Good. Uh, uh, greater, so good. Yeah. <laughs> greater Good is the f a four drop, two generic, two green that you can sacrifice a creature. Uh, draw cards equal to its power, and then discard three. Well, well, you, did you say discard three? What a yeah. downside! <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. What does Kerador want? Huge a whole bunch downside. of creatures in the graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, this is the the most beautiful part of this uh, that I actually discovered by accident one time. Ooh, those uh, are the best. Oh yes. gosh, I'm infinite. Oh, uh, whoops. <laughs> uh, so if you have greater good in play and you have a Sappy in your graveyard or in play, mm -hmm. uh, and you cast Sun Titan, which of course brings back six drop that brings back converted mana cost three or less permanent to play. You can sacrifice Sappy to Sun Titan, so the next time Sun Titan dies, it'll come back. You then sacrifice Sun Titan to, to greater good, good. Oh. draw six, discard three, uh, return Sun Titan to play thanks to Sappy. When Sun Titan returns to play, it returns Sappy. 
you so you get to draw your entire deck at instant speed. You sacrifice Safi again. Yeah, dude, yeah. just loop it. Right, so you get to do the entire thing at instant speed, and it also allows you to fill your... So you get to draw your deck, and mm-hmm. you get to fill your graveyard then with your Revel Arc, with your Karmic Guide. And so then you, you just start doing that. And you can actually win at... You can, you can assemble the loop out of your graveyard at instant, at speed. instant speed without wow. mana. <laughs> and I just discovered this by accident one time. That's pretty and, awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, and again, that's a three-card combo, so... Yeah, absolutely. And that's... I don't, th- I don't play... I don't play you know, I have uh, I have Micaeus, the Unhallowed, in the deck, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't have the Triskelion, which combos infinitely with it. I don't have any two-card combos. Um, that's yeah, just so boring. that's greater good. It's just insane. And even if, you know, you're about to Wrath, well, I'll sack my uh, creature for value, and then, or mm-hmm. I'll sack this Persist creature, and it'll come back. You know, it's just... Or somebody, you know, in this deck... Uh, one of, you don't want to get your stuff exiled, right? You, you, you know, Bajuka Bog is terrifying in the stack. It's one of the reasons I play Leyline of Sanctity. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want your creatures to die, not be exiled. So if someone points a Swords of Plowshares or a Path to Exile at your at one of your creatures, well, you can sacrifice it just to get it in your graveyard. Oh, we should read your Greater Good for those that don't know. Um, no, we did. Oh, we did read Leyline. I ran through it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Leyline of I Sanctity. I get confused when I don't read it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Le- I, I usually our, assume I roll get, on Brainstorm Brewery. Our guests Brewery. never read the cards. So I <laughs> yeah, that's a good like, point. I, I always Corbin? do it on Brainstorm Brewery, so it's a habit. I'm sorry. No, you can keep doing it. I do not mind. <laughs> yeah, you knocked it out of the park. You said too generic. I was like, ooh, we're there. Not colorless, because that's different these days. Um, Leyline of Sanctity, though, it's a great card for this deck, because you're right. Cards like Bajuka Bog are what you never want to see. And Leyline of Sanctity says too generic and white-white. Uh, if it's in your opening hand, you can begin with uh, you can begin the game with it on the battlefield. But you have hexproof, so anything that says target player, you can get around. Which so is, it's trying right. to stop all the anti graveyard. It stops you getting Pajuka bogged, which yeah. is the huge one, which everybody has in their deck basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a few other anti graveyard effects that'll stop, and then it'll just nicely stop things that just happen to like target players, like I don't know, discarding and stuff like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the and then the last card I wanted to touch on is as being the best card in the deck, and I, I leave this for last because I want to get your guys' take on it. Is survival of the fittest and survival uh, of the fittest the is yeah, it's insane. It's right? the best. <laughs> it's uh, it's banned in legacy because it broke legacy. It's you know the <laughs> it's purely one, broken in all. Yeah. It's broken in commander too. It's yeah. it's super super good. Yeah, it's amazing. The take being what like when you say you want to get our take, you want us to to say that it's awesome. Well, I mean, so so just to, yeah, I mean, so everyone knows it's it's one generic green, and you can pay a green, discard a creature card, search your deck for any creature card, put it in your hand. So, pretty good. You know, it it's extremely good. I can set, I can just search up all the combo pieces and put them all in my graveyard and then just win. Uh, my question is, you know, in your guys' experience playing, you know, either with or against this card, given that we talk about we want to have our games be interactive and not just do the same thing. Do you actually think that survival is too good? It definitely. So in a deck like this where you're, it's like, Oh, you have to find a creature. Well, it's like, no, this deck has 29 creatures and it it already wants to find creatures. Your creatures are what do the best stuff in your deck, like acidic slime, kitchen finks, karmic guide. It is certainly, I mean, if I had to make a vote for the best card in the deck, it's either this or greater good. Right. Um, and it's an enchantment, so it's a little harder to deal with. I think, I don't know, it's it's tough. I mean, sometimes I've had a survival of the fittest out and just for some reason don't have any creatures in my hand or something happens where I'm like, oh, shoot, like I can't actually use this the way I want. But in general, 
for three mana, being able to tutor up any creature, just having as long well, as you have tutor it, again and, and tutor, tutor again and, and tutor again, again. And you can cycle over and over again. And Carador wants the card that you're discarding in the graveyard anyway. All it's, your cards want to be in the graveyard. Yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously incredibly powerful, but if you find that it's the kind of card that when you play it, you instantly lock out the game, then maybe it's past the power level that you want, Corbin. But if it if it lands and it still is like, okay, two, three turns later, I, I'm able to use it to win, then I think it's an appropriate power level. I Here's a suggestion, and I'm not against, everybody knows, I'm not against anything. So do whatever fits your play group and play the style that you think is the most fun. I, I don't tell people on that level. But mm-hmm. if you do have Survival of the Fittest and you think, oh, maybe it's too powerful, you could just switch it to Fauna Shaman. Yeah, that's true. And which then, is also a creature. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. a creature, and it's not quite as broken because you can't. It's harder. You can't. You can do it multiple times, but you have to set that up. You have to have some sort of engine that lets you do it. Otherwise, you you can just do it once at a time. You know, the thing about survival is you could pitch like five creatures all in one turn. You could get your Sun Titan thing maybe going just off that. Um, yeah, you could also play a card like Yisan, the Wanderer Bard. Like, there's lots of other creatures that do similar things. There's, and they're sort um, of like fair versions of Survival of the Fittest. Yeah. yeah. What was the, the, there's an evolution card. Evolutionary Leap is another card that came out recently. That's that, true. That could, that could do be a good. similar thing. Um, Evo- yeah. But Fauna Shaman is basically exactly Survival of the Fittest, but it's mm-hmm. on a tap ability on a creature. So it's, it's way more fair, right? Because what, part of what makes Survival of the Fittest so strong is that it's an enchantment and those are traditionally the hardest type of permanent to get rid of and you can do it multiple times without having to exhaust its ability by tapping it or whatever yeah true fauna shaman you'd need haste to use it right away so it's just like it can eventually get you the same um result but it's just going to give people a lot more chance to deal with it again i'm fine with survival of the fittest but you know, if you felt that it was too it was too powerful, then Fauna right. Shaman's a good way to go. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good suggestion. There's also the fact that my survival is gold bordered, and I get made fun of. So <laughs> what? Unacceptable! I play gold border cards all the time. They were printed by Wizards of the uh, the Coast for casual for casual players yeah. like ourselves. Yeah, that's right. Like you know, if you're going to enter a commander tournament, you'd take it out, right? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't. It's still a commander I tournament. I would take a proxy out. <laughs> I don't but know that's what a commander proxy. tournament is exactly. Yeah. I don't know if it counts. Yeah, I don't need, I don't actually know the rule there. But I, I do know that I get savagely made fun of every time I play <laughs> it. How dare they? Well, I mean, I, I can see them making fun of you more if you use that card to then win the game in a convincing fashion. They're like, a gold border <laughs> yeah. card beat us? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Listen, you can change it into a black border card with a Sharpie. It's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about gold border cards, so more power to you, Corbin. <laughs> um okay so let's we... yeah let's talk about some of the issues oh, that the deck has um now this deck like we've said folds to cards like bajuka bog and things that exile your graveyard and sort of get rid of one of the huge parts of why it can combo off um are there any decks or archetypes that this deck just folds to or just loses to constantly well we have a lot of difficulty with sort of the dedicated combo decks that don't want to use creatures mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, we're a deck full of a bunch of rats and if someone just plays three mana rocks, uh, which we don't because we play things like Austere Command and, and Planar Cleansing and things that are going to remove all of it. So mm-hmm. I, I, I took out mana rocks. Um, mm-hmm. But when you play against a deck that just turbos out a bunch of mana rocks and then assembles a two-card combo really quick, uh, this deck has issues. It has answers to, to everything, but obviously you're just not always going to have them, right. and and those are the, the the things that it has problems with. It wants to mm-hmm. it wants to play in a creature focused table. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's employing a strategy that just doesn't include creatures, it's going to have a tougher time. 
Yeah, and then all of a sudden you have a bunch of wraths that don't do much. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, right. If you're, yeah, that's a really good point because you're just relying on those to keep everything sort of at a reasonable level. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it, what's the speed of the deck? It feels like it might be a little bit slower. It's, it's definitely slow, and I think part of the... It, you know, like I said, it just built over time, and they print a big creature like, say, Ashen Rider, and I'm like, oh, that's eight mana, but it, it exiles permanence. That's great. I want to play it. Uh-huh. And over time, it seems like the deck has just morphed into it's got too many expensive things uh, for a deck that is not really a ramp deck. Um, right. so, so it needs uh, preferably more creature based ramp. Um, and that's one of the, the things I'd be, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm looking at um, is, is maybe getting rid of one of the, you know, one of the, just the really expensive, but but slow cards, say something like Debtor's Nell, which is a seven drop. We were just uh, talking is, about this card. Yeah, we always yeah. talk about this card, and it's like, it's always, we want to play it so bad. But it always yeah. costs seven mana. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, it's at the beginning of your upkeep, put a creature card from any graveyard into play under your control. It's insane. But it's like, man, if I tap out, like, especially we're trying to play mm-hmm. control here, right? And by turn seven, uh, or even six, I guess, in a good world where you've ramped once, it's that's when people are starting to get scary. And you're like, yeah. what happens if I tap out for this? And then I someone kills lose. me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or they just kill this, and I just wasted seven mana. Right, and right. I love the card, but I think we might be better off, um, you know, just playing playing more more ramp spells, especially if we can find creature-based ramped, uh, to speed the deck up. Because if late game is right. very strong, it's making it to the late game that's difficult. You know, something that, and I don't know if this has happened to you, and you said this is a deck you've had for a while, and mm-hmm. something that Jimmy and I have talked about and we've found is that ever since the rule change about the mulligan, um, not yes. partial Paris anymore, and doing the Vancouver Mulligan, we've actually had to lower the curve yes. on our decks quite a bit. And mm-hmm. maybe you haven't been through that process with this deck yet, because right. in the old days, it used to be a lot easier to run more six, seven, eight heavy yeah. on your CMCs, and you just—it's harder to do that now. You got to be a little more reasonable because you're going to have just more games where you miss your fifth land drop. Yep. Yeah, that change f- wrecked my Myel deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, that totally, yeah, that totally makes sense because <laughs> you just can't sculpt your opening hand right. to that amount. And so you either have mm-hmm. to add a bunch of lands and usually take out higher drops or you just have to take out higher drops and add in more in the 3-4 range because that's just – you need to be doing stuff and you can't count on every game going like four land drop, five land drop, six land drop. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, I think that's, you know, we want, I, I think I want to find the way, and that's probably part of it, since it has felt a little slower. Um, yeah, and maybe and just... that's probably a lot of it right there. Yeah, because, yeah, that, that rule change, I think people don't realize that that's actually causing decks that were fine before to feel slow now. Yeah, and as a result, more people play mana rocks, cheap mana rocks, like yeah. Signets, so other decks get faster, and if your deck is already slower because of the rule change, it's just going to get even slower as a result. Right. So let's talk about, yeah, let's move into the sort of maybe what we might, what we might think about changing or, or, or fixing about the deck to cover some of these issues that you're having and, and still try and stay within the realm of like not adding a bunch of like comboing people out or, or a bunch of tutors and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the first thing I saw when I looked at the list was just it was a little creature light. It felt a, like even though you're not self-milling that maybe... Um, you would want more creatures. And to me, like all the effects you have, you want those effects, right? You don't want to get rid of a spot removal spell and you definitely don't want to get rid of any wraths. But, and you alluded to this earlier, I think there's ways to accomplish those by also by like taking a a spell out or a sorcery out and putting that effect on a creature, Mm -hmm. which is actually even better for the deck because then you can, once you get that creature, 
you can just use it all the time because Carador can cast it out of the graveyard. Or you can bring it back with Karmic Guide or any other You have other all these recursion Safi, effects. So it feels like a, a Wrath on a, on a creature is actually better than a Wrath on a Sorcery. Yeah, and I can actually cast my Carador more often as right. well, which is, which is yep. you know, an issue sometimes. So um, the first one we thought of was uh, Kagemaru, First to Suffer. That's three and two black for a star star legendary creature, Dragon Spirit. Kagemaru. Demon Spirit. Oh, sorry. This guy's Demon evil. Spirit. Or she, who knows? It looks like a, well, it looks like a big bug, actually. Big bug, a big centipede. Butt. <laughs> big butt. Um, Kagemaru, First to Suffer's power and toughness are equal to the number of cards in your hand. And then you can pay a black and sacrifice Kagemaro, and all creatures get negative X, negative X until end of turn, where X is the number of cards in your hand. Interesting. So I like this because you can actually really time the board wipe to benefit you the most here. Yeah, you can, you can do it so that it doesn't kill all your stuff. It also isn't, it doesn't require a tap ability or something, so you can actually cast Kagemaro, pay the black, sacrifice it all in the same turn. Mm-hmm. And because you can do that out of your graveyard, once it's in your graveyard, if you have six mana, you just always have a Wrath available. Now, yes, sometimes it won't hit, you know, Ulamog or Blightsteel Colossus or something, but it's an answer to most things. Because usually, yeah. you know, hopefully you're going to have four, five, six cards in your hand. Not to mention minus X, minus X. It just gets around so much in terms of killing creatures. Indestructible, Hexproof, all that stuff. Well, I mean, more wipes get around Hexproof anyway, but... The minus X, I mean, that's why Toxic Deluge is so powerful. Yeah. And Kagamaro in this case, you can actually, you'd be like, all right, I'm going to minus two, minus two, everyone, or I'm going to do these effects to make it minus six and keep these creatures of mine alive and kill the rest. Yeah, this, I, I really like this suggestion. I honestly don't even know that I've ever seen this card before. For a while, I had the, um, I think it was the white Myogen. It's like an eight drop that uh -huh, if you cast yep. it from its hand, it had a divinity counter and you could remove the divinity counter to wrath the board. Uh, this, but I eventually cut it because it was just too slow. It, yeah, you know, it wasn't great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this actually seems like a really nice middle ground uh, where, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see this. And uh, this seems like a, a pretty good addition, I would think, because, you know, I the, the problem I have, I think, is trying to figure out what to cut. And I think mm -hmm. it helps having it in front of me and, and talking it over with you guys is things like the debtors now and things that are just sort of good cards, but not great cards. Mm -hmm. um, right. Are, are some of the ones that I'm looking at, you know, and that's, uh, you know, Rise of the Dark Realms. It's, it's insane, but it's nine mana. Right. Yeah. Well, and I also think, like, that you could cut this for maybe even, right, like, Wrath of God or something similar to that because it's, unless you think you do need additional Wraths more than you have now, if you feel like the amount of Wraths you have is good, then this doesn't, you know, you can stay at those same amount of Wraths, but now you've got one on a creature, so you yeah. you actually just are net positive in, in the category I think maybe you want a little more, which is just creatures. But you're the same on the amount of wraths that you had before. Yeah, and I'll say it now. Kamigawa Block has just so many cards for Commander that are often, they go by unnoticed for whatever reason. But there are, like Sakashima the Imposters from Kamigawa Block, we have so many powerful cards. Uh, eight and a half tails, another card I love mm -hmm. for Commander. Um, but speaking of creatures that, uh, now a slightly more powerful version, I think, of Kagamaro would be Magus of the Disc, mm -hmm. which costs two white, white, and it comes into play tap, so it's essentially a Nevenril's Disc, but on the creature, it's a 2-4, and you can pay one and tap it to destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. So it's a bigger board wipe. You do have to wait a turn if, you, if it comes into play tap, and you don't have a way of untapping it. But I think it's 
I mean, Neverworld's disc is so powerful, and it's great because you can play it, and you force other people to be like, all right, well, I'm just not going to play this or that, and you can sort of build up your board, and when it's time to Wrath in the Carador deck, you're fine with it because you've set your graveyard up in a way that now your combo pieces are there, you're ready to lock people out, and everyone else has been holding cards in their hand that they didn't want to play because they can't access them in the graveyard like your deck can. Right, and I, and this one is... Um, <laughs> so honestly, another card that I... I knew there was a Magus Cycle. I just don't think I ever knew that the white one was was was, was what it is. Like, yeah, you know, the it's white just one's nuts. absurd. And this well, is great too because it hits a Mana Rocks. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It does all the thing. It hits enchantments too, so it it wipes everybody's stuff they've been doing. Like besides Planeswalkers, that's the one part. If you play against a Super Friends deck with this, right. you're like so sad. Yeah. Well, you get their Mana Rocks, and then you're like, <laughs> cool. I, you're ultimating everyone now. Sweet. <laughs> and then you talked about it earlier, but uh, yeah, Shriek Ma. Um, mm -hmm. I think Shriek Ma, I, we put Slash Necrotal. I think Shriek Ma is definitely better. Mm -hmm. um, Shriek Ma is four and a black for a three, two creature elemental. It has fear. I'm not even going to go through fear because it doesn't matter. When Shriek Ma enters the battlefield, destroy <laughs> target non-artifact, non-black creature. So it's got a terror attached to it. And it has Evoke. And this is really interesting. So Evoke is a one and a black. You can cast this spell for its Evoke cost. If you do... It's uh, sacrificed when it enters the battlefield. So you get the ETB effect. And you basically cast it like a spell. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody knows Moldrifter has Evoke, and it's basically a divination when you do that. Yep. And Shriekmaw is exactly Terror if you evoke it. I guess it's not instant speed, so um, it's almost exactly Terror. But the interesting thing about Evoke is Carador works with Evoke, so you can cast it out of your graveyard with Carador for its Evoke cost, and then it'll go right back in your graveyard. So oh. it's just a reusable Terror. Once a turn. Yep. So Sorcery speed. Yeah, it's sorcery speed, but it's really good to just have it in your graveyard. That's where you actually maybe would want it. Right. Because it's just cheaper. Yeah, I don't think you'd ever want to play a five-mana Shriek Maw. There's just no reason because to. Because the three-two in Commander is just not good enough. Yeah, and yeah. In, in Fear, and, it's like, cool. <laughs> you can and a, for three a sorcery speed spell that just said destroy target non-artifact, non-bot creature wouldn't probably be good enough because it's a one-off, right? Yep. And it's not instant speed. But because I could cast this thing like five times in a game, now it's totally worth it. Yes, please. Also, you can get it back with the card like Safi or yep. Karmic Guide, and it <clears> just <throat> has to enter the battlefield to do its ability. It's a 187 card, as we say in the biz. Um, so, I, yeah, Evoke in general is just something that I might look at as a really good mechanic with Carador. But yeah. Shriekmaw, again, could take the place of, I see you've got Swords to Plowshares and uh, Path to Exile. This is a little crazy. I'm not 100% sure you do it. <laughs> but uh, it has the possibility of replacing maybe one of those cards. Josh, it, no. I don't you, know, you man. Don't, you don't do that, man. Exile effects, too good. They're, uh, really, they're yeah. really good. It depends. If you're playing like if you're playing combo heavy, but maybe like, oh, there's a good one. Maelstrom Pulse. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good one that could, that could replace. So that, you know, we're not just finding what cards to add. We also have to, like you said, because... You can always go through your deck and be like, I wish I could add these 20 cards. But then you look at your deck and go, well, like, I don't have 20 cards I can take out. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I think uh, Oblivion Ring is one that, that could go as well, you know, because I think there's there's definitely a nod uh, with my building here to be able to address some other permanents. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Magus of the Disc, right? If I'm talking about putting Magus of the Disc in to replace one of these effects, it does that. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. Oblivion Ring has the upside. They both have upsides, you know. Oblivion Ring can go away um, and sometimes awkward with the Austere Command and things like that in my deck. But 
it can go back with Suntan, so that's the one upside for it. But right, certainly. I don't know. It's it's not ever been stellar. Maelstrom Pulse, I've been slightly more happy with. Uh, Every once in a while, you get a whole bunch of soul rings or something, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a yeah. bunch of tokens. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a really nice early game play for, you know, for something you want to hit. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, when we're talking about some of these uh, that, that we can put in, you know, the O-ring's not, like, if I'm putting a Magus to the disc, the O-ring is a lot less relevant there. Um, because the Magus fulfills um, sort of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then I remove sort of the liabilities of it. And that's, uh, that's, that's what I, I think will help. And then in addition, you know, maybe taking out some of the, the very top end cards, um, I can power up my creature base yeah, and, yeah, and still be able to control the board. Yeah. So one thing we're going to talk about here, which uh, will be no surprise to our listeners, is the ramp and card draw section. So Very important. Yeah, we, we have this philosophy of EDH that we talk about all the time on the show, Corbin, which is that there's basically those two categories are something that every single deck needs. Now, like you alluded to with the mana rocks statements about a lot of decks use a lot of mana rocks. Mm -hmm. um, that's one way to ramp, but every deck I think in the format wants to ramp in some way, wants to be ahead on mana for the turn. And then card draw is another thing, I think, just because of the Highlander nature of it. Yeah. You know, it sort of evens you out and makes your deck a little more consistent. So it you just know, keeps you playing the game, right? You never want to be in a, a position where you're like, I'm hellbent for some reason. I have zero cards in my hand, and everyone else has 70. That's or the worst in Commander, because also, you know, your turn comes, and you draw your one card, and you either play it or you don't, and you say go. And then, you know, it could be a long time, and you're not making decisions. Yeah, totally. Um, now, Carador has less of a problem with card drop because of the nature of having your graveyard available to yeah, you. You just have so much value that you're yeah. accumulating over Anything the game, that yeah. went to the graveyard is still in your hand, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you get to a point, if you have enough ramp, where you Carador, you can only cast one creature card from your graveyard per turn. You can't cast three of them, even if you have, you know, 15 mana. So you still want some card draw. Mm -hmm. um, keeping in, I don't know, flavor of the other suggestions, you know, we... We're talking about some creatures here that maybe could help in the ramp and card draw category. Um, one thing, the deck doesn't have very many basic lands right now. And some of these cards would require a little bit more basics just to get them to work. Green base ramp almost always is looking for basic lands in general. So like Farhaven Elf. Is, is sort of a go-to one. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield, tapped. If you do shuffle, your blah, blah, blah. Um, that seems like maybe a decent one. Burnished Heart seems actually really good in this deck. Uh, it's a three-drop artifact creature, elk. You pay three and sacrifice it, and then you get two basic lands mm -hmm. onto the battlefield. And the great thing is it naturally goes to the graveyard, so you could cast it again and do it again. So anytime you just had, you know the inclination you could ramp by by two yeah the only issue again is that this deck has five total basics in it currently yeah. you could definitely do a little maneuvering right to get rid of some of the worse uh sort of either filter lands or the cards like uh i don't know like a cycling land right um but yeah these cards i'd say have the value but that's that's really if you found that you're running into issues ramping out stuff later on that because because you're, you're sort of land-based ramp you're, you're not artifact based uh, as you've already talked about. Yeah, you want to be land-based ramp because you actually want to blow away everybody's artifacts. Mm -hmm. And uh, and right. so that seems like a, a possibility. And yeah, I found that in uh, three-color decks, usually I can run about 15 or so mm -hmm. non-basics and my mana is still fine. Yeah, totally. 
Um, I don't know if you've had any experience with, with, with your mana base. Like, does it, yeah, I've, uh, I have a chronic, uh, problem with my commander decks of mm-hmm. wanting all the non-basics and saying, I don't want to ever not have a color <laughs> that I need. Right. So yeah, that's totally. how you, that's how you get things like uh land of war waste in the deck, even though I'm not making use of the colorless aspect of it, you right. know, or you get, uh, you know, all the, all the cycle lands and you mm-hmm. get, um, you know, something like a vivid grove, you know, right. Um, totally. <laughs> that's, that's simply like, I want to cast my spells. That said, I don't feel like I necessarily have huge problems with it. Uh, there are, I love filter lands because they, and I love, um, and I wish this actually, we had more of this cycle. Uh, oh gosh, let me find it real quick here. The filter lands. Uh, oh, like the twilight. Uh, Mire. Sun, Sungrass Prairie. Oh yeah. 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 These are like, uh, signet lands. Yeah. They turn colorless generic whatever mana into into colored mana mm-hmm. um, i love those unfortunately we don't have the full cycle of them um, but i would play them in every commander deck ever if i had the option to yeah so uh, what was that one called sungrass sungrass prairie sungrass prairie yeah. is a land and then you pay one and tap it and you add green and white to your mana pool so if you have no other if it's your only land it does nothing but otherwise you can always get two mana out of it for right. the cost of one mana and that will right. be precisely green and white. You know, one thing I would say is that adding a Farhaven Elf and then changing, you know, your Lanwar Wastes into a forest actually evens out because the Farhaven Elf fixes you in yeah, those instances right. mm-hmm. where you don't. And the Burnish Heart, the same thing. So they don't actually make your mana less consistent. They, they'll even out with you taking out a Vivid Grove or something because they'll find the other thing that you don't have. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, if it's not a problem, you know, I can totally see not doing it. To me, it's super scary when I see only four ramp cards because in our meta, if yeah. I if I'm on turn six and I've only got six mana available to me, I'm I'm three mana behind probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I uh, I I have a, a lot of issues of that of getting behind with the deck and not having uh, the mana available that I need. And once you miss land drops, it's just like the death knell. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, um, I also chronically run out of basics. Um, yeah, because you've only got like five in the whole deck. Very carefully manage it. Yeah, I have to very <laughs> carefully manage my basics and basically every deck I play. Um, yeah, because because of that. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that probably all of my decks could use more basics, but this one it actually feels pretty easy to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I, I yeah I think that that would do quite a bit, and then like the Farhaven Elf sort of plan is exactly. Um, what I was, you know, what I'm, what I'm looking for. Yeah, definitely. Now this one's a little bit speculative because uh, I was just, you know, I think there's a way to build a second. I just want to make people aware and, and you have a strategy that doesn't go in this direction and, you know, you don't have to, but if you did build Carador in sort of a more traditional manager, manager <laughs> in a manner, in a more traditional manner where there was a little more self mill, maybe some more dredge cards and things like that. Then I think Gitrog, I just wanted to mention it for people out there who yeah. have Carador or think about building Carador. I think Gitrog monster is, is very good in that yeah. case. In this deck, I think it probably won't be because you're not self milling and doing a lot of dredge again, but Gitrog, the really important ability is just that if a land goes into your graveyard from anywhere, you draw a card. So, so this does well with greater good. Dredge. Um, dredge. Life from the loam. Cycling yeah. lands. Cycling yep. lands. Yep. Yeah, that kind of stuff um, could be great with Gitrog. And then if you did that, so this is sort of two steps, right? Again, I don't think your deck's going to do it, um, Corbin, but just for people out there. Then I think the new card, Splendid Reclamation, 
oh, yeah. could be awesome. Because if you're dredging and self-milling and playing things like Seder Wayfinder and things that are going to mill yourself, then Splendid Reclamation is that new card, three and a green for a sorcery. It says, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. I just bought a bunch of these. Oh, it's so good. I mean, if, if you're in a deck that's going to naturally get gra- lands in the graveyard, a lot of decks aren't. But man, like a, oh, your Tassiger deck. Tassiger. I mean, even if you just play a bunch of fetch lands. I mean, if you think about it, yeah, you're right. If if I just get three lands with it, it's awesome. Yeah, four mana, three lands back. Would, Sounds pretty good. And they can be any lands. Yeah. It's not basic, so you can get you know crazy stuff. Love it's, it. It's crazy good. I, I'm fearful of the turns where somebody goes Armageddon, floating four mana. Oh my goodness, that's a that's a wombo combo right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Anyway, so, and then I just threw in Phyrexian Arena as a good black card draw spell. It's not a creature. Um, I like Phyrexian Arena. Yeah. I felt- it's, it's, it's great. It's sort of the only, the issue, because I've obviously looked at it before, it's that, you know, do I, I'm, I, do I, basically it's a mana rock thing. If I'm not playing mana rocks because I'm going to blow them away myself, do I right. want to play an enchantment that I'm going to blow away myself? Um, it, might, it might be worth it, though. To me, if you draw, you know, three cards from it before you blow it away, you're fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And if you happen to draw more, it's great. But I, I do get what you're saying. You you want card drawn creatures. So maybe yeah. like um what's that? Disciple of Bolas, I think. Yeah. 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 Stuff That'd like that. That'd be an interesting one, yeah. Yeah. This is a similar basically same philosophy as the um as the uh, board wipes, right? Taking a board wipe, putting it onto a creature. Well, yep. let's take some card draw, put it onto a creature, and maybe think about stuff like that. And a sack outlet at sorcery speed for one creature. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's talk about self-mill and dredge a little bit, too. Uh, I, I think you're totally fine not having to put it in here because if you're playing the game where your deck just slowly puts stuff in there regardless with board wipes just by playing a longer game then you don't really need to do it but for those players out there that want to take their 70 percent deck and bump it to 80 85 90 self mill and dredge i'd say is one of the best ways of really abusing the game um and this goes for almost any decks that can dredge um glenn jones played his dredge deck against us once and it was absurd the amount of stuff that he was able to do just by or during his draw phase because of dredge um and it was very powerful and dredge is obviously i think pretty high on the storm list as well wizards oh, doesn't so broken wizards doesn't want to reprint this ability anytime soon and it's a best friend to carador so we should read dredge just so people know if they are just so if people don't know what that mechanic is right um dredge We'll say dredge and then a number, and then, so, well, let's just read Stinkweed Imp. You can go ahead. Jump two in the black for a one-two flyer imp. Whenever Stinkweed Imp deals combat damage to a creature, destroy that creature. Great card. But it very specifically says dredge five. So if you would draw a card, instead you may put exactly five cards from the top of your library into the graveyard. If you do, return this card from your graveyard to your hand. Otherwise, just draw a card normally. So it's a replacement effect for drawing a card. Every time you would draw a card, you can say, you know, I'm going to dredge five and I'm going to take five cards from my library here, throw it in my graveyard, and I'm going to get the Stinkweed Imp back instead. Um, It's just an incredible way to fuel graveyard shenanigans, throw stuff in there really quickly. It's self-milled. It doesn't cost you a card or mana. Yeah. A a lot of decks that want stuff in their graveyard will actually... um, fail to play a land on turn one so they can go to their discard phase and discard uh, something like the Stinkweed Imp mm-hmm. and just start dredging right away. And they'll and they'll sort of give away their first turn almost to do it. Um, 
I mean, it's powerful, especially if your deck is built to really abuse the graveyard. Now, in your Carador deck, you don't play him as much as a, a, a really dedicated Carador deck would. So the graveyard isn't as important, but you still have, obviously, Sun, Titan, and a bunch of other very important cards that can get stuff back and, requ and require stuff to be in the graveyard to in, begin with. In Carador, if you dredge five, you basically drew any creature card that goes to the graveyard. So mm -hmm. if you dredge five and two creature cards go in there, that was like drawing two cards. Yeah. Because you have access to them. This card, the next one, Corbin, I think it's so, mm -hmm. it, it costs so little to put in the deck, it might actually be worth it, which is Dakmore Salvage. Yes. Yeah, it's... Um, Although it's, the card itself is actually getting more expensive. That's true. Because uh, it's, it's a really good card. It's I mean, opportunity on the cost, not dollar cost. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, it's a land. It comes in the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add black mana to your mana pool, but it has dredge two. So it just replaces any land that produces black at a very small cost to your deck. Mm -hmm. And then it just has the ability to, you know, give you dredge. And it's also amazing when you're like, I really want to land drop this turn. Oh, Dakmore's in the graveyard. I can guarantee a land drop and do what my deck wants to do thanks to Dakmore Salvage. Yep. Not many other lands can say that. It it really probably should go in more decks. There's a lot of decks that like, hey, listen, they're not fully playing with their graveyard, but they do have some ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they would just be helped by just having extra things go into the graveyard sometimes. Definitely. Oh, this guy? So there's one card, and again, specific to your deck right now, right. Corbin, because you have, like, no basic lands. <laughs> yeah. This card seems insanity and maybe it's too powerful in fact i guarantee it's too powerful it doesn't well this card it destroys how people see you in the game because when they see That's it right no one else sees it but the worst way it can be seen which is oh you're gonna win immediately thanks to that card this card is bannably powerful so i'm this is for the spikier players out there again you probably don't want it if you're thinking about survival of the fittest being too powerful this is on that power level <laughs> yeah, that definitely. is correct yeah um it's hermit druid it's one in a green human wizard Pay a green, tap it, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a basic land card. Put that card into your hand and all other cards revealed this way into your graveyard. If you've got only, I, I think you've only got five basics, maybe six yeah. in the whole deck, you're going to mill so many cards. You could potentially mill almost your entire deck depending if those basics if are you in play. Fetch, if you fetch for a couple of basics, all yeah. of a sudden you've only got two in the whole deck and I you're mean, just going to mill half your deck and then you know get your Safi Sun Titan combo just... You're decks, gonna be able to, decks are built with one basic in their just in to their, take advantage just to take advantage of this card yeah it, it's absurd so i just wanted to give that to the listeners because you know they're gonna be mad if we don't say it yeah and don't you dare play it corbin i i, I won't accept I will, it i don't think i will be as much as uh as fun as it would be it does seem fairly uh not fun for everyone else because I don't want to sit down and get targeted. And you're exactly right. It's what happens if you play Hermit Druid. Yeah. <laughs> and I have it in my Tasker deck just because I'm like, oh, I just want to dredge some cards. I mean, I just want to put cards in the graveyard. Everyone's like, why is that in your deck? You understand what it means, right? As soon as Hermit <laughs> Druid hits the table, my first question is, are we dead? Yeah. My right, second exactly. question is to the rest of the table is, we have to kill him right now. You guys know that, right? Yeah, or at least get rid of or the Hermit Or we're dead druid. next turn. There's, I've never seen a Hermit Druid hit the table and last a round rotation where, where we didn't die. Oh, well, you should play my Tasker deck because it, <laughs> it does not do that. He's politicking right now. He's trying should, to trick me for I, the future. Right. Yeah. Working ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm always working ahead. Working for the weekend. Um, you want to talk about some more toolboxy stuff? Yeah, I was, I was curious because I felt like another way I've seen Carador built often, and again, this is not saying like you have to build it this way it was just like with a whole bunch of cards that sort of do specific things so um wisp mare was one although 
Kosali Pride Mage is even better. Kosali Pride Mage is amazing. This card's great. So cards like this, which is Kosali Pride Mage is a green and a white for a creature cat wizard has exalted doesn't matter to two two but it says pay one sacrifice kwasali pride mage destroy target artifact or enchantment so you could have stopped at cat wizard and i'd be sold <laughs> so with carador it's just destroy an artifact or enchantment any any turn because you can always recast it yep and it's got that crucial two power for cards like rebel arc yeah and it goes back into your graveyard which is where you want it so you can use it again yeah that that just seems like a, a good a, a good card for the deck. Uh, again, these are cards I don't know what you take out, so it's going to be harder to fit. I just wanted to mention them right. because the next one is uh, Alex Kessler favorite. Oh yeah. Have you have you have you experienced the wonders of the Fog Frog? <laughs> I don't think I could say I've played against Fog Frog before. Now, this, would it be effective in be your honest. meta though, or are you dying to combo decks more often well, than uh, creature based combat? It's a mix, I think. Well, he I, said he wanted his deck to be good in a meta that's got a lot of creatures and it mm-hmm. wants to control that right. aspect. Fog Frog, you got to fit it, man. It's so good. It's Spore Frog. It's a green mana for a 1-1 sacrifice. Spore Frog, prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. You just have a fog every turn. No one could ever kill you. Well. They'd have to all do it. Mizzix could kill you. Mizzix <laughs> yeah, don't care about Fog Frog. You're already <laughs> de- You can't beat Mizzix. Maybe you can with this deck. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Well, that's why a card like Fleshbag Marauder is great against Mizzix because yes, it's an edict effect. Um, I know the meaner versions of this deck play Shieldred. Yeah, uh, because he has it. Yeah, Shieldred's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, that card is it's just like Carador 2.0, but in black. Mizzix um, won't let you get a Shieldred out on the table, though. No, 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 no. Yeah. But, I mean, a card like Fleshbag Marauder, especially because you have Vidalcan Orrery in the deck, you can flash it out, instant edict. Someone tries to cast another creature on top of it. Narset. You're like, nope, I'm going to make sure that you are sacrificing that creature because it's your only one. So it just houses a lot of Voltron decks, especially a Narset deck, decks that just don't care about sort of playing by your rules. Like, Fleshbag Marauder, especially when you can recur it every turn, is 100%, hey, I'm going to play by my rules. I'm going to force you to fit within my world of how this game is going to work. Yeah, it just kills Voltron decks. Narset decks are just done. If you can catch Fleshbag Marauder every turn, they can't win. Yeah, it's true. Um, Kokusho? Were you aware this card was unbanned, Corbin? <laughs> I was. Um and I've thought about it. I have Yose, the other, the white yeah. version of it instead. It's, you know, I like it and it is very good, but I think it may not be in there just as a product of not usually, like if I die, it's usually not to combat damage yeah, or at least sense. preventable yeah. combat damage. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. One of my earliest uh, memories of Commander is playing against Craig and him with Carador casting Kokusho like five turns in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, well, how can I ever win? That's yeah. that's broken. This format's broken. But, but it is six mana, and we were talking about how this deck needs to be, you know, decks in general need to sort of cut down on the higher CMC yeah. cost it, card. It, so maybe Kokusho's a little bit on the expensive side. The next one, though, can just absolutely win the game. Although you have to be a little careful because if somebody right of replications it, you automatically lose. You lose instead, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Gary, great merchant of Asphodel, we've talked about this guy. This just keeps going up and up. Every time I see it in play, actually, I want to say I was involved in a commander game at GP Vegas with you, Corbin, where somebody gray merchant for like a bajillion. Really? Yeah, Is that true? The card gets, the card gets absurd. So great. Um, I, I don't specifically remember it. I would believe that it happened. All the Grey Merchant <laughs> kills run together. I think it was yeah. like, I think right after that, then you just whooped us all at Conspiracy Draft. Or maybe it was right after the Conspiracy <laughs> Draft where you like, you built the vote deck, right? 
I, I do I do build vote decks. Yes. Yeah, oh, amazing. <laughs> he killed us with the vote deck. I just wanted to call that out because it was awesome. Uh, anyway, Grey Merchant, take a look. It's pretty sweet. We talk about that card a lot. Yeah, recently, it's, it's always a good one. Um, I like your final category here, Josh, that you put on this outline. It just says get mean. Yeah. So, Corbin, we know that you're trying to, you know, play towards closer to 70%. But in case you didn't. I mean, we just wouldn't be, we wouldn't be covering our bases if we didn't talk about getting mean. <laughs> Some people, sometimes people have Blood Moon in their deck and that just allows you to play cards like this. Sometimes. I play it every <laughs> chance I get. Uh, Hakori Dust Drinker. This works really well if you have a sack outlet. So it says lands don't untap during their controller's untap steps. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. It's a 2-2 two, two, uh, for four mana. Oh, another Revelar target. And then at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player untaps a land he or she controls. So it's a winter orb. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And with Revelark and with sacrifice outlets and with Safi, you can set this up so that you get to untap your lands, but opponents never do because you can bring it back into play. So you sack it on your end step. So during your untap, it's not there. You just untap it as yeah, normal. Yeah, and then even with just Carador out, you can just replay it. Yeah, your previous player's yeah. end step. Yeah, the card's absurd. It also looks like a third grade art project, so... It's got that going for it. Which is nice. <laughs> um, Mind Slicer. You know, I was actually talking to a friend about Mind Slicer yesterday, and he specifically asked me, is this card too mean? And I said, no. <laughs> so I don't know why it's in the get mean category, Josh. This card is not pretty mean. mean. <laughs> Everyone si- loses their hand. Which, not just you. Wait, which friend was this? Was it Owen Turtenwald? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Dan Black. But, like, you know, for me, you know, obviously this deck doesn't care about dumping your hand into the graveyard. Right. And it's a creature, so, like... Wait, I, we should read it first. Mind Slicer, two black, black, four, three, creature, horror. When Mind Slicer is put into a graveyard from play, each player discards his or her hand. Hey, it's just like an anti-board wipe card, you know? No one's going to want a board wipe when Mind Slicer is out. What do you think, Corbin? Do you think it fits into your 70%? <sighs> Oh, I don't think so. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not opposed. Honestly, I could see myself putting this in the deck because, um, it is, it, you know, it's somewhat symmetrical. Yeah, it is (laughs) symmetrical. Uh, It's just that you don't care if they're in your graveyard. Man, this card draws a lot of hate though. But does it matter if you make everybody discard their hand every turn? <laughs> yeah. Does it matter? <laughs> it's a good, oh, right. that's a good point. That's I a got good that point. every turn bit. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's Carador. So you just cast it again and then sack it and then cast it again and then sack it. And but, then you, know, it again, you know, everyone has to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, seems good. Greater good at you can draw four cards, discard three every turn. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> no, you discard the four too because of Mind Slicer, right? Well, I mean, you have the one card so that you can, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Uh, the last one is, this card's been creeping up for me more and more, and I've been putting into more decks. And it's mean, but it also is protective, right? So once you get ahead, if you can drop Gaddock Teague mm-hmm. out, a lot of times that'll just ice the win. Like, it'll just make it so people can't do much. This ices a lot of the Mizzix deck as well. Yeah. Mizzix still doesn't care. This is a way but... to beat Narset and Mizzix decks and um, things like that. Mizzix and, will still win. And those decks <laughs> that you have problems with traditionally that don't have a lot of creatures, right? So... Gaddock Teague is a green and a white for a legendary creature. It's a 2-2 Kithkin Advisor. It says non-creature spells with converted mana cost four or greater can't be played. Oof. And then uh, non-creature spells with X in their mana cost can't be played. This is really good if we go back to our um, our board wipe creatures like Magus yes. of the Disc. Yes, um, Because then you can really shut down the board if you can just bring this and a, a board wipe back each turn. 
Plus, you can always sack it if you want to cast a spell that's bigger and then mm-hmm. cast it again with Caridor. So you can control when it's out and when it's not. But it really does shut the door once you've got the game under control. Um, I don't like this category anymore. It's <laughs> I'm over it. What do you think about Gaddick Teague there? Is that too see, mean? Is that I can too see mean? this one. This seems pretty reasonable because it still dies to a lot of the commonly played removal. You know, Absolutely. your path, your swords, and stuff like that. Um, you know, at first I'm like, ah, I want a Wrath. I don't want a Gaddick Teague. But it feels like you can just play around it. Like if I have mm-hmm. the board Wrath, then I play it. Yeah, or you like I said, you can always sack Gaddick Teague to play your Wrath and then replay Gaddick Teague. Yeah, or yeah. play the Wrath first when you have Gaddick Teague in hand. Be like, Austere Command, woof, there goes everything, and Gaddick Teague so people can't recover as quickly. So that gives you the time that you need because you're not playing that traditional ramp. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it's a card that answers some of those, like you said, some of those combo decks that otherwise uh, right. are very difficult for my deck to interact with. There's a whole bunch. Like, if you get Gaddick Teague out against a Narset deck, they a lot of times just go, uh, ah. Uh. And they're trying to think, like, what do I have in my entire deck that deals with that? And they might have, like, swords to plowshares. Chaos Warp. They're just like, uh. But it definitely, but that's the nice thing about Gaddick Teague is, right, it's like, it's not saying you can't play any spells, just specifically big ones. And EDH, like you said, there's so many options for everyone to have that it shouldn't be the worst thing on the board, but it always does much more work than he originally, his stature would show you, right? You know, um, as an aside, this is one of the best cards in the uh, Rune Flicker deck. Ugh, I don't want to talk about Rune once you get it's so good. <laughs> once you get like things set, you just got a Teague in it, and that's it. Yeah. Because their only chance against you was a board wipe, and they can't even do that. Yeah, yeah. Because I think only Toxic Deluge is like the only board wipe that still works. Oof, that's rough. Yeah. Um, if you manage to get Hexproof on a Gaddick Teague... Gaddick Teague Bogles. Gaddick Teague Love. Yeah, let's go. Let's rename this episode. <laughs> um, you guys are forgetting about a, uh, a well-known Wrath card called Pyroclasm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone plays that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, a uh, it's one in the red for a power class and deals two damage to each creature. Yeah. I, you know, this probably kills a lot. I mean, this kills Oracle of Moldiah, right? It does. I'll play it, but with blood. I think they might have got somewhere with that Oracle by the time you power class. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. By then, they're like, I don't care. My sorcery <laughs> speed board wipe for two toughness creatures. <laughs> um. So we mentioned this before. It was one last note about the deck was just that um, when looking on tapped out, it had 18 cards that were either 6 CMC or higher. Mm-hmm. So that's another place like when we're, we're talking about like, well, I don't know what card to take out for this card. Like you said, Debtor's Nell or, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like that's probably like five or six cards too high to me. You know, you probably don't want because that's almost 20% of the deck is 6 CMC or higher. Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of think. I think what we've talked about is cutting um, some of these high cost cards for some of the other ones we've talked about, and it can kind of relieve that problem. Yeah, and like- just make things better overall. It- just you get to get there more often, right? It's um, this is a cool deck. I like it, and I like your take on like a lot of board wipes and sort of not the self mill. It's just it gives it a unique place where yeah. you know it's not like every quarter Carador deck. It, it uses some of the similar things, but not all the same things. Like, it has a slightly different take on it. And I think that's interesting to to look at a commander and try and build them in just a slightly different way. You don't have to, like, take Mizzix and go Goblin Tribal. I mean, you can. <laughs> but you could build, you could take your own take on it that's not exactly the same as everybody else's. And I think that's one of the great things about our format and what makes it so awesome is that, like, 
you know, people are really going to inject their personality into their deck. Yeah, you're attacking the meta of Commander, which is play Mana Rocks, ramp out, and do right. some big stuff with, I'm going to play a slightly longer game so that I can get rid of your Mana Rocks and not be a broken, unfair deck, but sort of do stuff that everyone... No one's going to really go like, darn, you just cleared that guy's board out that was about to win the game of his three Mana Rocks. I'm so upset. Nope, I'm actually happy because that gives me a chance or whatever, or it didn't set me back as much. Whereas for your deck, it's like, great, I can keep powering on and my game plan is still intact and it maintains the, uh, the happy social environment of a good game. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we get to play Magic. Win or lose, the deck has enough interaction that everyone plays Magic. It's not just decided um, in a you know one quick blow from somebody, which is, like we talked about earlier, the best way to play Commander a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. All right, to the listeners, how do you guys feel about tutors? Because that was a discussion we had earlier. Mm-hmm. Do you actively avoid them? You know, this is a nebulous area. Corbin... You know, you said you try and not have too many tutors, but you're not trying to have zero tutors. Like, how many tutors do you say is, like, the sweet spot for you? I mean, I guess no more than five, but even uh-huh. that is pushing. I mean, it counts, like, if, you, if we're counting birthing, birthing pots a tutor, you know, mm-hmm. there's, but basically it's like, I don't want the deck to be mystical tutor, if I, if, like, mystical tutor, vamp tutor, demonic tutor, grim tutor, cruel tutor, like, just those, just if your deck is just full of those and it's the same thing every time, that's what I don't want. Uh-huh. Um, so for me, it's n- not necessarily as much about the number. Cause like you said, some of these like things like birthing pot, do they count as a tutor? Is it a different kind of spell? Um, well, so I think, they, I think the outlet. number yeah. is not necessarily huge as it is so much the way the deck actually plays out mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. birthing pot is decided not just, uh, you know, plays out very differently than a different tutor because it depends on what you have in play. Right. And what you need to answer. So I think stuff like that that skirts the line um, sort of makes it better, makes 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 it a little easier to you know still have the ability to answer things without just becoming a degenerate combo deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all bored. I love it. I love it. I've been swimming in raw sewage. I love it. Well, hey, if you guys heard any cards on this episode just that you <laughs> that you want, uh, perhaps you want to be dredging and swimming in sewage like Josh over here, make sure you <laughs> check out cardkingdom.com slash command zone. They are our sponsor for the show. You can definitely figure out uh, what you want to do to upgrade your deck. Maybe Corbin's deck building has inspired you to take a deck that you have that you're having trouble sort of figuring out what direction you want to go with it. Uh, it's definitely inspired me a little bit. I'm, I'm already rethinking one or two of my decks right now that I think could definitely benefit from a game plan like this. And still put up a great win percentage, you know, still be fun, competitive, and have a good time at the table, and also making sure that everyone else has a good time, but never feels completely locked out or completely out of it, and they didn't have a shot. So make sure you guys check it out, cardkingdom.com slash zone. It will help support the show. We love you guys. Yes. I don't know. I was going to say something about raw sewage, and I couldn't. My brain just froze up. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> so it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Corbin, you've been warned. Did you come up with something cool? Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I've touched on it a little, so I hope you don't think this is a cop-out. But I mean, I want to talk about having a kid. Yes, uh, yeah. we never I'm, talk about stuff like yeah. that. This, so this is, is cool. Great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I'm, and I'm someday we'll be excited. inside the world of magic, though. <laughs> yes, it's true. Uh, you know, Luis just had a kid and then top eight at a pro tour. So there is magic after child. <laughs> no, no, no. I meant your child someday will play magic. I hope so. Oh, yeah, I certainly hope so, right? Um, no, but I mean, 
you know, you like know, next year. I've uh, yeah, he's start him young, Prodigy. right? As soon as they can yeah. grab it, uh, GP Vegas, he's coming. Uh, he um, better. <laughs> we talked about it. He's gonna make the dice lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I mean, I uh, one of the the things for me was trying to to figure out you know it's obviously having a kids a life changing event and we decided we you know we were as ready as we were ever going to be um and it really made me appreciate sometimes people have kids and you don't see them for six months and you're like it makes a lot of people say well i guess i don't want kids you know i don't want to like stop living my life for six months mm-hmm. um you know after having gone through it i certainly understand why you know how that happens right because it's very difficult between between work and everything but uh you know i would say that one of the the cool things is that about it is that it hasn't while it certainly made things more difficult it hasn't stopped us from from sort of leading our lives you know um if you if you're if you're good with taking your kid out you can do a lot i've been able to do a lot more with him um than we necessarily thought we could mm-hmm. um especially when he's first born i was just terrified of everything and you know <laughs> i certainly i certainly still am but um you know i'm less worried about him you know getting sunburned because he's out in the sun for two minutes or whatever you know right. so uh, uh it's just been it's 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 been a, it's been a very cool experience it's obviously been you know a huge change in my life and um you know now that we're past the oh my god i can't ever sleep why won't you stop crying at 4 a.m <laughs> stage of things um you know it's just exciting so i think that the the cool part for me is that i'm still able to do magic um i'm still able to i've sat here i've put the kid in the um in the thing around my chest and and, and held him while playing magic online you know it doesn't end uh it doesn't end your life or end the way magic the way i think it's portrayed among you know young you know 20 something males right. a lot of time and right. i think that that's something i wanted to to just touch on is because it's um you know now you get the exciting part i mean one day i will get to teach him to play magic if he if he chooses to learn and that's you know that's very exciting to me that is really uh, awesome and super adorable i'm sure you're a great dad corbin <laughs> maybe one day Learning as we go, that's for sure. Yes. I mean, teaching, yeah, teaching, well, I don't, it's not the exact same, but I, we're literally doing this cast probably uh, at least partially because I taught my nephew how to play Magic because oh. he got to that age. I thought age. you were going to say something about having a kid. I'm like, what? No, no, but I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it's not the same as your son, but, you know, it's my nephew. I'm, I'm they're part of my family, same blood, very close. And mm-hmm. teaching them Magic, giving them that gift is, like, one of the best feelings. So when you do teach your son Magic, yeah, it'll be one of the best moments. Yeah, and you know, speaking of what, going back to what the very tying it back to the start of the episode when we talked about some of the, the things I write about. Uh, one of the stories I wrote that was published on the Mothership last month was about um, a couple guys who have run, you know, a tutoring program, um, but also sort of they're helping kids with um, developmental or behavioral issues, and they found that magic was a great tool to teach those kids um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how to how to socialize better and how to interact better, and that's. Um, you know, it was just really exciting to me, especially, you know, I wrote it right after having a kid and it was very uh, moving because it just shows how positive of an impact the game can have even on a kid's life. You know, it teaches them, yeah. you know, how to win and lose with grace and how to treat opponents and how to, you know, deal with disappointment and all these things that I think are great for kids' development. So very excited for the day that, you know, hopefully Ben decides to, you know, he wants to take up some magic. That's awesome. You know, our friend Vinny, who's uh, becoming a school teacher, yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's going to mm-hmm. use magic 
as a teaching tool to his kids because it's just a great way to to tr- i mean it's not you're not tricking people into learning but really you're tricking it's like mario teaches <laughs> typing it's like you're learning how to type but it's mario's like, teaching it's yeah. like basketball <laughs> tricks you into exercising yeah right absolutely. yeah there's nothing wrong with that yeah I think uh, it's great. It's an, it's awesome. an awesome outlet too. And and like honestly, there's so many bad things that kids could be doing after hours when they're not being supervised. Having yeah. them sit around and interacting with other people and playing a fun game and, and improving themselves mentally, I think is one of the healthiest things that you can ask. They're for. literally sitting around doing math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch I mean, of math. is that's exactly what you want your kid to be doing. Making critical decisions yeah. and hopefully not getting salty. Yeah, and not playing blood. Right. Uh, <laughs> your tutoring program is going to be a little different than mine. <laughs> All right, Corbin, thank you so much for being on the show. Everybody, you can find Corbin at, uh, on Twitter at chosler88. So that's C H O S L E R 88. And uh, the articles that we've mentioned will be in the show notes. Corbin, is there anywhere else people can go to check you out, find your work, follow you, anything like that? Uh, yeah, well, like I'm, I'm a member of the coverage team, so you can find my stuff on there. Uh, hit me up on Twitter; that's probably the best resource. Uh, Brainstorm Brewery, Brainstorm Brewery as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, guys, thank you again so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it and enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely! It was a, it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm so glad that we got to connect. It's been a while since Vegas. I mean, I've seen you at random GPs and stuff, which is always a, a lot of fun. But yeah, you got to start. Um, you got to start working on that dice hand, man. We need that luck. Bring it with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll warm it up. I'll All warm right. it up. I'll get All it ready. Right. Uh, make sure to check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman talk about modern, the format, and all things competitive magic. You can find them uh, on Twitter at the MMCast or right next to us on rocketjump.com under the podcast tab. And our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. We do videos for every single one of these episodes. You can see our faces in three different cameras and Corbin's voice. Uh, maybe we'll put a picture of you up, Corbin. So if you have a picture that you want for that, you know, let us know. Uh, so you can check that out, youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the living card animations that are interspersed throughout our show as well. You can find them at Living Cards MTG on Twitter. Whew. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>